0: This is Recovery Support with Kevin Bergen, brought to you by CCRG, the Center for Counseling Recovery and Growth. How stuck do you feel? When I work with clients in recovery, I see most of them feeling very stuck. Most of them can't seem to get to the next level of business, of recovery, of a relationship, of life. Are you stuck on one of the 12 steps? Maybe you're stuck and unable to communicate in your relationship. My job as a therapist is to help my clients get unstuck. But how? Helping you start at the root and raise your well-being is how. I've developed a daily regimen, a protocol, that's structured, simple, and quantifies the actions that elevate your well-being. The protocol's focus is self-care. Its purpose is to facilitate your successful recovery and any other achievement that you want out of life. Here's Chapter 2 of my newest book, The Bergen Protocol, How to Achieve Your Goals. Can't produce that novel. Katie's a mortgage broker. She's single, almost married three years ago, but it would have been a disaster. She's always been a dreamer, but Dad impressed upon her the need to be practical. That means she went to college, finished her bachelor's, and then struggled to find a job that could support her. Her brother's friend Mike had a business, and he said she could work for him. She could make some good money. That's how Katie became a mortgage broker. But she still dreams. Katie's always wanted to write. She's had this novel inside her for years. But she lets her job take up all her time. Worse, she tells herself that she can't really write a novel. She continues to dream about getting published, but she can't bring herself to sit down and write. The running monologue in her head includes phrases like, Yeah, but... and... I'll still do it someday. Katie still plans to write her novel, and she doesn't know why she can't seem to do it. Addiction Recovery and Self-Care Manny really wants to be free of drinking, but at the same time, he doesn't. He really loves beer. He functions very well, or so he keeps saying. It's not like he's falling down drunk, nor does he miss work. It's just those blackouts he's been experiencing, periods of up to a couple hours that he can't remember. That can't be a good thing. Last year was that 30-day rehab thing. Manny completed the program, but AA meetings just weren't his thing, and he started drinking again when he lost that big account at work. Then he tried that outpatient thing, going in for treatment after work and on weekends. He liked that, When his wife came back from the weekend at her sister's, Manny had passed out on the couch. It was 8 p.m. on a Sunday evening. His wife knows he's hard on himself and has low self-esteem, but she's ready to leave him. Enough is enough. If Manny knew how to practice self-care and took appropriate actions to uplift himself instead of medicate himself, he could make some headway against the addiction that controls him. A student's life. His parents were always proud of his grades. Now that Tyler's in college, he's trying to enjoy a social life in addition to working through a degree in mechanical engineering. He never had to study like this, though. On top of the hours of reading, he's dealing with financial aid, loans, and coordinating meal plans. Tyler's mom was alarmed when she saw how thin Tyler was over Christmas break, If you don't eat better, you won't be going back to school in the fall. You have to take care of yourself, Tyler. He still maintains a high B average, but those bags under his eyes are getting darker. How does everyone finish their homework, turn in papers on time, and even party so much? Tyler just wants a few hours of sleep. Tyler doesn't yet understand that if he actively contributes to his well-being, he'll be more rested, better nourished... He'll do better in his classes and even enjoy a better social experience at college. How can I succeed in business? I'm really trying. I know I first need to try, but I have been trying a lot, and I just seem to be running in circles. This is Michael, and at 28, he feels like nothing he does is effective. With a bachelor's in economics and a great personality for job interviewing, Michael thought he'd be making a lot more money than he is. His friends are buying homes and traveling to exotic places. They're beginning to marry and start families. Michael's working at the entry level position he took two years ago at the headquarters for a national office supply store. What Michael really wants to do is go into business for himself. He's got some good ideas but he can't seem to get them on paper, much less formulate any kind of business plan. Why don't I know this stuff? I should be securing venture capital and executing a business plan. Why can't I make myself do something about this? He doesn't yet know that his sense of inadequacy and expectation of failure are preventing him from succeeding at what he wants in life. Laying a firm foundation of confidence and building up belief in his unique gifts will position him to launch into a journey of success. Prepare for a relationship. After a seven-year relationship ended four years ago, they started dating in high school. Carrie didn't plan to still be single at 28. Maybe not be married, But why can't she find a decent relationship that lasts longer than a few dates? Carrie knows she's not the thinnest woman on the block, but she knows several girls, not to be conceited, considerably less attractive than she is who are married or in very secure relationships. The more she worries about her singlehood, the more desperate she feels and appears. The more bitter she gets about it, the less attractive she becomes to both friends and potential partners. Carrie's best friend would never say it to her, but she wonders if Carrie's even ready to be in a relationship if a good match were to show up. Her friend believes that if Carrie were to focus first on her basic well-being, she'd be more capable of engaging in a relationship and therefore more attractive to the type of men Carrie's looking for. Carrie's friend is right. Track your SR ratio. Do you ever feel that your productivity is too low? Do you find yourself feeling guilty about the way you spent your day? Your satisfaction-regret ratio is a very simple way to assess how much you're in charge of your day and, by extension, your life. Note how many of your day's choices or actions have left you feeling satisfied. Then list how many regrets you have from the day. Each of these lists will show your satisfactions or regrets about your choices or your actions, not about external events or circumstances. For example, you may list being satisfied about washing your car because it was an action you took. You would not list getting a nice letter from a friend because it's an action done to you, not by you. A regret appropriate for your list might be eating that donut at the office, a choice you made. You would not list regretting that it rained after you washed the car, because the weather is external to your control. Keep judgment out of the equation. Simply list satisfactions and regrets in as unbiased a manner as you can. Your evaluation comes later, not when you're listing satisfactions and regrets from the day. Now, total your satisfactions and your regrets. Compare the two totals. A ratio is a comparison of two numbers when we divide one by the other, often expressed with a colon. For example, the ratio of 8 to 4 can be shown as 8 divided by 4 or 8 colon 4. The result of both is two. So, comparing your satisfactions to your regrets, if you had 20 satisfactions and 10 regrets, your SR ratio would be two. 20 divided by 10 is two. Feel free to visit bergenprotocol.com for a handy spreadsheet to calculate your SR ratio. A reasonable SR ratio to shoot for is two or higher. In other words, aim for twice as many satisfactions as regrets. An SR ratio less than one means you have more regrets than satisfactions. Be wary of an SR ratio greater than four or five. If you have five or more times as many satisfactions as regrets, you've likely violated the no-judgment rule mentioned above and chosen to ignore or censor some of your regrets. Freely list all your satisfactions and regrets that you can think of. But what good is an SR ratio? It's a quick indicator of how much you are in control of yourself and your actions. Is it a subjective score? Of course it is. It's your most honest sense of how powerful you feel in directing your own life. For a more representative SR ratio, calculate it for a period of three to five days. But why? How does an SR ratio help? Once you've gone to the trouble of listing your satisfactions and regrets and figuring your SR ratio, your awareness will increase. You'll be more conscious in making decisions. You'll be more likely to make decisions and take actions that you'll later be satisfied with. You'll be more prepared to implement the Bergen Protocol and elevate your well-being. Do you want to reduce your regrets? What's your SR ratio? Emotional preparedness. Around the world, the news is full of disaster. Earthquakes, floods, tornadoes, fires, tidal waves, mudslides... In many places, public service announcements urge people to prepare themselves. In the eastern United States, the media show people running to the stores before hurricanes hit, causing shortages of water, flashlights, batteries, and plywood for boarding up windows. Here in Southern California, people have been told for years that the big one is coming, an earthquake. In the event of disaster, we talk about having a 72-hour survival kit for each family member and storing water in case a big tumbler or storm knocks out roads, water, electricity, and phone service. Hadn't we better talk about emotional preparedness? How equipped are you to keep your head when a disaster hits? Are you going to be able to stay calm and provide first aid to someone who needs it? Are you the type that moves to action in an emergency or will you freeze and go into shocked panic? One of the benefits of attending to your well-being is that it automatically prepares you emotionally for any disturbance in your daily routine and it doesn't have to be a natural disaster. And it doesn't have to be a natural disaster. By consciously raising your well-being You'll be prepared for a child's sickness, a car accident, inclement weather, a difficult boss, or your partner's bad day. A natural byproduct of elevated well-being is expanded resilience, your ability to spring back after external forces bend you. Maria woke up in an emergency room. She felt very confused and gradually remembered driving to work. It had been a typical morning, rushing out the door without breakfast, running back inside for the client file she worked on until late last night, talking with another partner at the office through the car's hands-free system, the light turning green at Main Street. Wait, then what? A nurse explained to Maria that she had been broadsided in the intersection. She sustained a head injury, a broken arm, and some cracked ribs. Maria's first thought? At least I've been practicing the protocol and preparing my well-being. I know I'm better prepared to handle all this than if I had been neglecting myself. Of course, the situation and recovery would be difficult, but Maria knew she wouldn't panic now or despair later. She had developed resilience through the consistent self-care she had turned into a habit. Her healing, both physical and emotional, went much better than for someone with fewer internal resources to draw upon. Could you use resilience when the electrical power goes out? When your partner has a bad day and yells at you for no reason? When a bird craps all over your windshield? When your team loses? When you lose your job? When a friend betrays you? When a family member dies? Resilience is a key part of well-being. Self-care is integral to emotional preparedness, and a bonus outcome of practicing the protocol is increased resilience. Intention. If you don't have formal goals, at least have intention. Even if you aren't motivated to do much more than show up at work tomorrow, that's intention. Some people intend to get current with all the episodes of the latest must-watch TV show, but it still hasn't happened. Some intend to clean out the garage. Many people have difficulty with the idea of goal-setting. That's okay. Goal is a four-letter word to me. I've always resisted setting goals. The formality and expectation clashes with my personality, but still we must live with intention. Intend to learn an instrument. Intend to visit a museum in town. Intend to lose weight. Intend to learn more about your religion. Intend to join a community softball team. People with little to look forward to, plan for, or dream about tend to be more depressed. Have something to look forward to. Listen. David Isay started a project in 2003 called StoryCorps. His purpose was to record, preserve, and share the stories of Americans from all different backgrounds. The interviews are usually held between two people who know each other, with a trained facilitator to guide the participants through the interview process. The 40-minute interviews are recorded, given to the interviewee, and with permission archived at the American Folklife Center in the Library of Congress. I say his purpose? Simply to preserve story. His method? Listen. He said once that what he's listening for is, quote, poetry in the margins. We can't experience life fully without listening. We can't know without listening. By listening, we become more fully present. Isay's first book is titled, Listening is an Act of Love. To listen doesn't mean you must embrace, believe, agree, or follow. Just listen. Listen to nature. Listen to friends. Listen to strangers. More importantly, begin by listening to yourself. Self-care is the pathway to loving yourself, which is a difficult task for many. Dirk Eldridge, a longtime and well-respected addiction interventionist, consults regularly about important life skills with the Seattle Seahawks NFL franchise. He recently told me the following, You have to make self-care a priority. That has to be the baseline for everything. We have to make a cognitive shift to self-care, put it on top of everything. You can't give away what you don't have, so if you don't love yourself in a healthy way, you're never going to be able to love anybody else in a healthy way. Self-care is not only appropriate, it has to be the baseline. The best way to start loving yourself is to listen to yourself by just being present listen to your thoughts, watch what you're feeling, and just pay attention to your experience. The more we listen, the more we understand. And the more we know and understand someone, the more we love them. That applies just as much to the self as to others. Practice this. This has been Chapter 2 of The Bergen Protocol, How to Achieve Your Goals. You can find the book on Amazon.com by simply searching The Bergen Protocol or searching my name, Kevin Bergen. Are you listening? Listen to yourself. You're crying out for care. Give it to yourself. Learn how to practice effective self-care and make it a priority in your life. I guarantee that you'll make your recovery more difficult and for some impossible if you continue to neglect self-care. You'll learn a lot more about self-care in my book, The Bergen Protocol. I also just released an article about self-care through journal-keeping on my blog site, theactioncore.com. As we often do here on Recovery Support, Let's close this episode with a third-step prayer from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Wherever you're listening, please join me, if you can, in reciting. God, I offer myself to Thee, to build with me and do with me as Thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do Thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Happy recovery. Until the next episode of Recovery Support with Kevin Bergen.